This morning's message, I titled the message, Ask, Seek, and Knock. And I also added on to that, being persistent. I believe that this section of scripture is one that is important for us to be able to grasp when it comes to our prayer life, when it comes to our understanding of how God works in prayer. We have already started chapter 7 talking about where Jesus said that we are to judge not, uh, that we would not be judged. Jesus also warned us about that hypocritical type of judging that we can have towards other people. We also learned last week where Jesus says, do not give what is holy to the dogs nor cast your pearls before the swine. And those truths of God that have been entrusted to us, God says they're yours to give out as I lead you. We come this morning to verses 7 to 11 where Jesus is going to, for a second time now, Speak to us about prayer. Look in your Bibles at verse 7. Let's read it together. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. That's our outline right there. Ask, seek, and knock. He goes on in verse 11. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Notice what he says in verse 8. For everyone. Does everyone apply to you? For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. It's a promise. And then he goes on in verse 9, Or what man, or what father, we could say, is there among you who if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Asking a question. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? Another question. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Great message for Father's Day. Again, we're in this portion of Scripture talking about prayer, but it's not exhaustive in what it talks about prayer. It's not talking about every aspect of prayer. Jesus has already given us the principles of prayer in chapter 6, verse 9 to 13. He also gave us some instruction concerning fasting, which also correlates with prayer in verses 16 to 18. But for some of us, I know that some of us are just learning how to pray. Maybe we're new in our, in our walks with Christ, and, and, and maybe we've been a Christian for a while, but we're still really just kind of learning what it means to pray and how to pray. 
There's others that are here that have maybe been Christians for a long time, that have learned these principles of prayer, but we might find ourselves at times losing heart, giving up in our prayer life. I think all of us, it doesn't matter if you're a brand new Christian or one that have been one for a while, we have found ourselves at times losing heart and giving up on things that we started to pray about, and when we saw no answer, we began to give up and let it go. This part of Jesus' teaching is not going to give us all uh, the specifics of prayer, but it is going to focus on this one thing, being persistent in your prayer. Spurgeon gave a caution concerning persistence in prayer. This is what he wrote. If we think our persistence convinces God to do something he wouldn't otherwise do, then we will end up thinking that our prayers are more powerful than God himself. I think it's a very appropriate uh, quote because there are times that we think that if we just hammer God enough, that we're going to bend him to do what I want him to do. And that's not what persistence is. This word persistence means that we are to persist in something. Uh, and, and in this context, it's in the area of prayer. To persist means that we would persist even in opposition, even when obstacles come our way, even when there's discouragements in your life, when you see those lack of answers coming to your prayer, when, you, when, you're, not, when you're not saying, those are the times that we need to persevere. We need to pick it up. And we need to continue to bring those things before our Lord. Jesus in verse 7 is saying, in essence, be persistent in your asking. When you ask God, be persistent in it. Be persistent in your seeking. And be persistent in your knocking. In other words, don't give up. The Lord doesn't want us to give up or to begin to distrust that he's hearing us or that he's able to answer this prayer. Or maybe it's too big. Or maybe this person's just way too hard. He's never going to come. And those are lies from the enemy. He wants us to give up. We can also see in these three words, that there's an increase in the intensity. Uh, this asking, this word ask, it leads to seeking. And this word seeking leads to knocking. There's an intensity or a building upon it. As we come to that place where we're knocking and asking God to hear our prayer. The commentator or a translation by Wiest translates verse 7 this way. Keep on asking for something to be given, and it shall be given to you. Keep on seeking, and you shall find. Keep on reverently knocking, and it shall be open to you. You know, I started thinking of some of the things that might keep us really from persistent prayer. 
just continuing on. And, and one of those things is that, and it's really a, a failure on our part. It's a failure when we start to say, God already knows what I need. He already knows why. Why do I need to ask him? He already knows what our needs are. James 4.2 says that you have not because you ask not. God loves it and God honors it when we approach him with requests. We're asking of you, God. You're, you're greater and powerful than anyone. You're able to do this. And God is honored. But he also knows that we need to ask in faith. We need to believe that he's able. And we need to ask God and not just trust that he knows everything. Another area that can be a failure on our part is when we start thinking that our continual asking is showing a really a lack of faith on our part. You know, if I just keep asking God all the time, then maybe it's really just my lack of faith. You know, shouldn't I just have to say it to God one time and that's enough? Well, I believe that it's the opposite of that. Actually, our continual asking shows your real faith. It shows that you are coming before God and trusting that God is able to do this. And God, I'm going to keep knocking until I get an answer from you. There's also a third, and there's probably more than this. But I don't need to keep asking God, He heard me the first time. You know, it, that, just that one prayer. Now, I think there are times that we say something one time. Uh, and that's okay. But there are times that we are called to continue in prayer until we get an answer. I think it's important. And I think that the Lord honors it. In verse 8, Jesus reiterates these same three words. Ask, seek, and knock. But he gives each one of them with a promise. He says, for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened those are promises this is a promise verse this is something that we can stand upon asking God for things or to ask God is calling him for an answer when you ask God something we should be expecting that God is going to answer us. Expecting it. Asking here is followed with a promise, isn't it? When we ask, we'll receive. What will we receive? We'll receive an answer. God will answer that. But if you don't ask, are you going to get an answer? We, we need to ask. Bring your request. Make your request known to God. When we look up the word ask, by definition it means this. It means to, in this particular Greek word, it means to ask with urgency. Even to the point of demanding. That's what Jesus is saying. Ask with urgency. Come before me, expecting that you're going to get an answer from me. The word means 
to make a humble and earnest plea or an entreaty. It's the petition of one who is lesser in position, that's us, than the one who who the petition is made to. We sit ourselves humbly before God and we ask our petitions before the Lord. To ask means to call on him for an answer. It's what we should expect. I like what Charles Spurgeon wrote. He said this, Asking is what beggars do, and that is exactly what those who are poor in spirit are. We've already read that as one of the characteristics, the first characteristics of, of what a Christian is. Somebody that is poor in spirit and depending upon, dependent upon God. Just like that beggar that is out on the street begging for food and dependent upon all those people that might give them a handout. In poor countries, Spurgeon goes on to say, beggars unashamedly stand by the road with their hands held out asking alms for the poor. Sometimes they can be quite bold about it and even irritating to passers-by. In those moments, it helps to remember that you would be bold too if you were in their position. And in a spiritual sense, we are in their position for we have brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out. We are totally dependent on God, the Father of lights, from whom every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift comes. But unlike beggars on the streets, citizens of the kingdom of heaven have access through Jesus Christ to our Father who art in heaven. We're beggars coming before the Lord, persistent in our asking and expecting that God is going to answer. James wrote in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, and who gives to all men liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith. With no doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of a sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. You see, that's a verse that we can come before the Lord and we could say, God, I ask you for wisdom right now. I need wisdom from above for my situation for this time right now. God, I'm asking you to impart your wisdom to me that I might know how to act and I might know what to do in this situation. It tells me here that God wants to give it to you liberally. Do you pray that prayer expecting that God is going to answer it, that God is going to impart his wisdom to you? James says, but let him ask in faith. God loves it when we just simply believe. I prayed, and then I'm trusting that you gave it to me. The second word that we see here is seek. Or seeking, we could say, is searching and finding. Now this word seek in the Greek means to attempt to learn something by careful investigation or searching, to desire to have or experience something or to try to obtain something 
from someone. Seeking is asking plus acting. Did you get that? Seeking is asking plus it's acting. We need to be active in our seeking. When we ask God for something, we begin to often seek. What are we seeking for? What do we look? We begin to look to his word. We begin to look for God to show us and to, to reveal things to us. We're seeking you, God. We're seeking your wisdom. We're seeking that direction. We're seeking that answer from you. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 12 to 13, we read this. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with your whole heart. With your whole heart. God loves it when we ask. He also loves it when we seek him. And we seek those things from him that he wants to give us and wants to impart to us. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 11, verse 6, the writer says, Without faith it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who, what? Diligently seek him. Diligence. It requires effort on our part to diligently seek the Lord. In the book of Proverbs, verse eight, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 17, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. This is a promise. Seek after the Lord diligently. Seek after those things from God, and God is going to give those things to you. Jesus, back in chapter 6, verse 33, he said this, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It's an issue of priorities, isn't it? When we seek first the kingdom of God, when that's our priority in life, when that's our number one goal, God says all these other things that could occupy your mind, those things will fall into place if you will just simply seek me first. It's an issue of priorities. We also have the word knocking. Now, knocking implies the opening of a door. When you knock on something. The word actually means to rap at a door for entrance and thus implies an even greater and more repetitive intensity than either asking and seeking. And so when we talk about the intensity building and you get to the point where you're knocking, it's building that intensity as you come before the Lord, knocking and asking for that response or that answer. The English word knock comes from a German word which means to press. To knock. It means to stand at a door and repeatedly rap it with your knuckles. You knock and wait. And then you knock again. And then you say, I know you're in there. And then you knock again and you say, I can hear your voice. Come on, open the door. Then you knock again. And if you're on the other side, you know how annoying it can be to listen to someone 
who knocks and knocks and keeps on knocking. Do you see what the Lord is trying to impress upon our hearts in this issue of prayer? And then so often we find ourselves just giving up. Where God says the opposite, keep knocking, keep knocking. Don't feel like you're annoying me. Just keep doing it. And in my time, and I will answer you according to my will. I believe that the picture that Jesus has given us here, it's a command. It's a command to keep on knocking. It's not, the Lord commands us to do these three things, to keep knocking. The idea might imply praying in the face of difficulty. Have you ever been in that place and then tried to be persistent? As a matter of fact, sometimes when things are really getting tough, we kind of retreat. Things are really tough, and we retreat. If you knock like this, your desire for entrance must be very great indeed. If God sees that you are persistently knocking before him, it really shows your heart. It shows the passion of your heart before him. God, I'm insistent upon this that I need to hear your voice. I need your leading. And God does hear. Knocking on a door implies that the door will eventually be opened. When you come to a door and you knock on a door, you're expecting really that if someone's in that house, they're going to answer the door and they're going to open the door. And so it's, it's almost like when you, that door is open, it's like you come in and there's this possession that you take hold of. That door is now opened. The Lord has revealed it to you. You've grabbed hold of what he has just told you, the promise that he just gave you, how he answered that prayer. We might also say, that the opposite of fretting and worrying that we already read, that Jesus warned us against, that the opposite of fretting and worrying about things is asking, seeking, and knocking. Instead of letting our hearts get overwhelmed with all the worries and the cares of this life, we simply should start asking God to take care of those needs and seeking Him in it. And knocking until he answers, until he provides. In verse 8, we see uh, this promise. Uh, I want to ask you guys to do something. Just write next to verse 8, if you have a pencil, just write the word promise. Right next to verse 8, just write promise. Because that's what we should do in our Bibles. You see a promise? In Scripture, then write promise. That's a promise that God just gave me. Write it next to that verse. It's one you can stand on. You can stand upon this promise. Jesus, in a sense, is putting his, his own faithfulness on the line. He just gave us this promise, and he's putting his own faithfulness to you on the line, that he will fulfill his words. So why would Jesus need to tell us as his children to be persistent in our prayers? 
Why would he need to do that? I believe it's because we're all prone to lose heart. We're all prone to do that. We're prone to give up over the long haul. We're prone to lose faith because we have not seen an answer. How many times have you? I mean, I think all of us here this morning uh, could probably begin to write some things down that we prayed about years ago and we gave up on it years ago also because we just thought, you know, I never saw an answer to it. I never saw something happen. And then you hear the testimonies of those men and women that have labored a lifetime for things. And even some of those prayers not even being answered until after their death. That's persistence. That's what God honors. If you walk up to a wall, you walk up to this wall here, and you begin to knock on that wall, you're not expecting that that wall is going to open up, are you? You're not expecting that to happen. You would just stand there knocking on this wall. But if you walk up to a door and you begin to knock on that door, knowing that somebody's inside, you're expecting that that door is going to open. And the actual design of a door that it hangs on hinges, it's meant to be opened up and to let us in or for us to receive something from it. And I believe that that's the picture that we get here from our Lord. That's the picture he's wanting us to see, to continue to knock on that door until I open, until I give you the answer, until I meet the need. Turn in your Bibles, if you could, to Luke, Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. On this occasion, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he gave them a parable of a persistent widow. Now, widows of the day were ones that weren't always taken care of. And Jesus had great concern for the widows of the day. And the church sought to take care of the widows. But we have this parable that Jesus gave. We read in verse 1, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Just underline that part. Men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Don't give up. Saying there was a certain city, in a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now, there was a widow in that city, and she came to the judge saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. That was her request. And the judge would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because of this widow, because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. This is a uh, an example of an unregenerate judge. This is not even a this is a this is a man, but through her continual coming to him. He says, unless she continues to come and weary me, I'm going to answer. That's the example. That's the parable that the Lord wants to give to us in another occasion to his disciples about being persistent. Then the Lord said to his disciples, hear what the unjust judge said. 
And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out to him day and night, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? You know, it is an act of faith on our part, isn't it? To come diligently and coming before the Lord with our request, making those requests, knocking before the Lord, seeking God, and crying out to God, God, hear me, hear my prayers. Lord, answer. Lord, act. Have you ever asked the Lord to act upon your prayer? Something that you knew was in his word and that it was according to his will, and you actually asked him to act upon what you just said. I believe that you can. God, you've told me in your word, and I'm asking that you would act upon this, that you would move in this situation. You can approach God in that way. It's only the things that we're not quite sure of that we come before the Lord, Lord, I want to, I want to know your will. In verses 9 to 11, back in our text, Jesus continues by comparing an earthly father to our heavenly father. Look what he says in verse 9 to 11. Let's read. Or what manner, or what, excuse me, what man or father is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish... Will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Do you see that, why the Lord would do it? He's comparing these earthly fathers to our heavenly Father. Jesus tells us in these three verses you have a heavenly Father who knows how to give good things. You have that. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your Father wants to give you good things? But he says that there's a condition. What's the condition? To those who would ask him. God wants us to ask him for those good things. God wants us to come before him and say, Lord, this is my request. We also see some other important word in, in verse 11. It's your father. Now, this word father, actually this is the 16th time in the Sermon on the Mount that we see this reference to God as our father, our heavenly father. We're going to see uh, the last time is here in uh, verse 21. And so we're going to see... 17 times that this word Father or Heavenly Father is used in this text. Why? Because we're talking about a relationship that we have as believers with God Himself. This repeated emphasis that we find in this sermon of God being our, our Father I believe it's because God wants us to know that even though he is the omnipotent God, which means that God is all-powerful, 
that He is the omniscient God, that He is all-knowing, that He is the omnipresent God who is everywhere present, this God who is perfect in all of His ways, this God who is righteous in all of His judgments, who is a God who cannot lie or even make a single mistake, that's your heavenly Father. You see, we get sometimes overwhelmed with the fact of how awesome and how great God is and how big He is, how powerful He is, how much He knows. And it can overwhelm us in those thoughts. We can feel like we can't even approach this kind of God. And then He simply comes on this earth and He says, Heavenly Father, look to me as your Heavenly Father. To me, that's incredible. This is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He says, you can refer to me as your heavenly father. We might ask, what are the good things that he desires to give? What good things does God desire to give to you and I? In Luke's gospel, we're given a little bit of insight to what we're reading in Matthew's gospel here. We read in Luke chapter 11, verse 9, this is Jesus again speaking to his disciples. He says this, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? And then he says this, If you then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is, a, this is a good thing that God wants to impart to you and I. I believe that what we see here in Luke's account of what Jesus told His disciples that one of the most valuable and precious things that our Heavenly Father wants to give to us is His Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's all the grace that we need to follow after God, to do our ministries, to do anything for the Lord. It's by His Holy Spirit that He gives you the power to even be able to walk your walk and to follow after Christ. It's by His Holy Spirit that he imparts his gifts to you, that you use even within the body of Christ. These are gifts from God. These are the good things that God desires to give you if you ask him. And he says, and I will impart them to you. If the Holy Spirit in this text is an example of just one good thing that your heavenly Father wants to give to you, then Jesus is giving us, I believe, some insight into the other things that he wants to give. I believe that God wants to give us other good things in life. But I believe showing that with that, the Holy Spirit, that he wants to give the Holy Spirit to you. How precious, how valuable is the Holy Spirit to you as a believer. If the things that you ask God for 
are things he sees as being good and beneficial to you, then he's not going to withhold it from you. Did you know that? If he sees, and by his knowledge and, 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 and understanding of what's the best thing for you, if you ask him and it's according to his will, he's not going to withhold it from you. That's important to know. But we also have a heavenly father who will withhold things from you. Things that are not good for you. A direction that you might be going that he says, that's not a good path to be on. That's not a good direction to go. Your heavenly father sees all those things before you do, and he knows what's good for you. And he says, because I'm your heavenly father, I'm going to withhold it from you. And those are the times that we get the no. We don't like it, but we get them. We read in uh, James chapter 4, verse 3, that you ask and you do not receive. Why? Because you ask amiss, that you uh, may spend it on your own pleasures. Have you ever uh, offered up those types of prayers before the Lord and saw no response? God, I'd love to have this. Or, or, or I'd like to do this. Or I'd like, and, and, it, and it just seems like the answer just keeps being no, no, no. And we press it and we press it, but the answer is no. Why? Because our Heavenly Father knows that really this is for you. It's something that it's just catering to some need or something within you. And God says no. But know this, God always answers our prayers. He always answers every single prayer that you would lift up to him. But he answers it in three ways. Yes, no, and wait. We've all, probably most of us have heard that before. Yes, no, and wait. If the answer is yes to a request that we put before the Lord, uh, it's because your father is saying, this is my will. That's why it's a yes. It's, it's, it, if it's yes, it's because it's good and it's profitable for you. That's, that's why it's a yes. If the answer is no, it's because it's not going to be good for you. Or in some way, it's going to draw you away from me. Whatever, that might be a good thing, but that good thing will still draw you away from me. And so by that, I say no. Our, our Heavenly Father would do that if it drew us away from Him. If the answer is yes, but we have not yet seen the answer to that yes, then the real answer to it is wait. And that waiting is the one that we really don't like. We don't like this waiting process. We like to... You know, give me the answer. It's either a yes or a no, but the wait, it wears on us. And we don't like it. But our Heavenly Father in all of His omniscience, He knows. He knows exactly the perfect timing that this yes is going to come to pass. 
that this person that you've been praying for for years is going to receive Christ. Because there's things I want to do in that person before he's going to say yes. And so as you are knocking and crying out to me and interceding for those peoples, and you have not yet seen the answer, he may have not said no. He just simply says, wait. Wait and see what I will do. But if we ask our Heavenly Father for things that are not His will for us, that are not beneficial to us, and then He tells us no, how easy is that for you to take? How easy do we we take those no's? Because there's probably been times in my life, I know there's been times where there's been a no and I've sought to do it anyway. And when we cross that line of doing, the Lord shows us like we would with our own children. We need to learn to accept the no's and we need to learn to accept the weights. As earthly fathers, we really do the same thing with our children, don't we? We give them the same kinds of instructions and we hope that they are obedient to, the, to what we say. Yes, no, wait. Not always, but we would like that. Our Heavenly Father, though, when He says those yes, no, and wait, He's actually more pure in His yes, no, and wait than we are as earthly fathers. Our children sometimes cry, you got it wrong. I mean, this will be good for me. I, I, I know this isn't going to hurt. I know this will be, you know, and... You know, sometimes we do have it wrong. But know this, your Heavenly Father never gets it wrong. He never makes a mistake. And so when there's a no or there's a wait, it's perfect. If your desire in life is to be more like Jesus and to know Him more, then asking, seeking, and knocking will be more in line with His will and his desire for you. If if your whole heart is consumed with just wanting to follow after God and live for him and only want what he wants for you, then I will tell you that the majority of your prayers that go up before the Lord are going to probably be falling more in line with what his will is. Very important to know. James 1.16 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variance of shadow of turning. God never changes, and every good gift and every perfect gift that God bestows upon, it comes from Him upon you. These are not words that are telling us that if you press God hard enough, you know, to ask, to seek, to knock, if you, if you press God hard enough and you, you basically start twisting his arm, then he has to respond to your request. You know, crying out to God, knocking relentlessly before him as if it's going to twist his arm and make him do what you want him to do. That's a wrong way to look at what Jesus is telling us here. How many of you, and probably not a lot of you, but those of you that are at least my age, 
probably remember a TV show years ago called Father Knows Best. I'm not seeing any, and nobody probably knows. I'm the only one. There was a show on called Father Knows Best. And it's a great title when you think of that because our Father does know best and what's best for our life. If we believe that He knows best and is always looking out for our best and He has the best vantage point in which to see your future and what will be good for you and what will be bad for you, then it's really easy for us as believers to be able to say, you're my heavenly father and you know best and I'm good with that. It's real easy. But does father know best? Often our flesh tells us he doesn't. And so we pursue things apart from his will. I think we would love it if every time one of our children came up to us, those of us that are parents, and they said, you know, Mom and Dad, uh, before I do this, before I buy this, before I go to this place, before I do this or that, uh, you know, can you tell me what's the best thing for me? Can you, can you tell me what's the best thing for my life for this moment? We'd be going, I love that. Every single time they come up there and they ask me that question and I give them the answer, then they just do. We'd love it. But they don't always do that, do they? And we don't always do it with God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, most of us have this memorized. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Ask him, seek him, and knock until you get the answer. Don't lean to your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him. God will direct your path. It's a promise. There's another one, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Promise right, right next to it. Jesus says in John 14, 12, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, what we need to look at and know in that verse is that it's everything in his name. Everything that's according to God's will. Everything that, fall, you know, God will do it. That's where faith, real faith comes in and believing God for big things. I'm going to close with just some thoughts that I wrote down. And I'm just going to read it to you. These are some thoughts that I wrote down about what we're talking about this morning. And you can just listen. We ask in dependence and in humility. We seek with effort. We knock with perseverance. When we pray for something, keep praying until you have an answer. When circumstances change, then God can redirect your prayers. 
if the burden that you once had begins to be directed towards other burdens, don't think that it's not of God. Sometimes we have a burden on our hearts for an individual or a city or a nation or a foreign land or a people group, and those prayers can go on for a lifetime. It may be our youth or our children in our church or our missionaries that we're praying for. If I ask you all what is the greatest burden in your heart right now, it would all be different from each one of you. And that's okay, but the question is, are we being diligent to pray for what's heavy on your heart? Are we being diligent in that? When we ask God for things that we know are within the general will of God for our lives, we ask with sincere and we ask with sincere and open hearts, then we trust that God is doing that work in us. Like praying for spiritual growth. God, I want to go deeper with you. I want to know you more. God, give me wisdom from you. Strengthen me, God. Give me perseverance and discernment. God, fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. God, give me your peace. Lord, search me and know me and see if there's any wicked way in me. These are all prayers that we know line up with the will of God. But how and when God will do this, we don't always know. We just trust as we yield ourselves to Him, He's going to do this work in us. When we pray those prayers and we say, God, I sincerely want you to make me more like Jesus, look out. Because God is going to be faithful and He's going to do that work in you. There are times that as we pray that we might sense that God has already answered your prayer. And so we begin to thank him before even we see or know that it's been done. Have you ever done that before? In faith, we sometimes believe and we stand on the conviction that God has already answered. But we need to be careful that, by, that my assurance that this prayer has already been answered is not my way of holding God hostage to my request. We can do that. We, you know, it's like, you know, I'm just going to claim it. I'm going to stand on it. And in a sense, I hold God hostage. And sometimes it's not his will. If we say, because I believe it, it's done, and that it must be done, that's like telling God, because I believe you have done this, then you must do it. The problem with claiming every request as if it's, as if it's done gives no room for another principle in, in prayer, and that's this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's very important for us that when we lift our requests before God, God, I want your perfect will. Not my will, but your will, no matter what that might be. And I'll close this morning's message with a quote by a Puritan uh, by the name of Thomas Matton. This is what he wrote. If we don't receive by asking, then let us seek. If we don't receive by seeking, 
then let us knock. I think it's a great quote. There's that progress. God, I want an answer from you. I'm going to pursue this until I have an answer from you, Lord. And then trust that God will answer. But we need to be people that are listening for the answer. Listen for the answer. Remember, prayer is not just this way. I'm only doing all the talking. We have to listen to what God's answer is. God, that I might hear you. Did you tell me no, Lord? Did you tell me to wait? And if it's a yes, Lord, then you've either already answered it or that yes is telling me it's going to come, but I'm going to wait. If we're most concerned with our Heavenly Father's will and His perfect will for in your life, then all of these things that I've been saying this morning, you're going, I'm good with that. I'm all good with it. But if, if, if we struggle, then I'm going to feel like I'm fighting God all the time because I'm going to get my way, God. Yeah, kicking like a kid. We do that. The Lord says, I know how to handle my kids. And he'll deal with us as children. Jesus calls us to be persistent in our prayers. To continue on and not to give up. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Lord, for this church, I thank you for this body of believers that are here. Lord, just in this room alone, there's enough requests that go up to you on any given day that it would overwhelm any one of our hearts. But Lord, you hear them all. Every single request that we put up before you, you hear them all no matter how small or how great they are. And it's because you're God and because you're able. And that's the reason we run to you. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would forgive us for our lack of faith, our lack of diligence to pursue certain things in prayer, Lord, that we stop knocking. Lord, forgive us for those times that we stop knocking. And Lord, that we would once again be on a pursuit of lifting things before you and not being satisfied until you answer. Lord, we thank you that you're our heavenly Father that we can come to you just as we would come before an earthly father and we can talk with you and you hear. And we love you for that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.